You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Started a new series on the subject of missions and... Uh, It was exciting then, you know, as it's been on my mind a lot lately, and it was exciting then to see the missions process play out even in our own church the last couple of days. Because you think about it, 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 you know, the mission, missions is what we think of. We think of somebody going to a field and, and giving the gospel to somebody and telling them about Jesus Christ. But we don't often think about the process at the beginning of that. We think of missions as the outpouring, the expression, uh, but we don't often think about where it starts. And, and the last two days, we got to see, right, well, this is where it starts. It starts with somebody who has a burden to serve the Lord, uh, having those get behind him to give him some resources then to make that Jet that journey and be a, and be a help and make a difference. And if you read the New Testament, you see how that was played out in the life of the Apostle Paul. Even and what I love uh, even about some of the men that were here this week and, and going to the, our state here in South Dakota, there's so many small towns that aren't being reached. And and I love those that are are they have, they're going into itinerant work or they're going into. Uh, they're, they're going into the work where they're going to small towns and, and they're, they're planting maybe some seeds in a Bible study and then going to the next town and seeing if, if any of those seeds starts to t- start to take root and then where the most seeds take root, then they're saying, well, that's where we're going to focus our attention. It sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul if you read the New Testament. And I'm grateful for those men, uh, those circuit writers, you know, almost. It's, that's a very historically Baptist thing to do. It's to go to different places, plant some seeds, have a Bible study, and just see what takes root. It was exciting this week to see that. It was exciting to hear them stand up and, and give their vision and give their burden. It was exciting then to look out in the crowd and, and see people stand up and say, I want to get behind that vision. I mean, we invested not just in the meeting, but we were able to invest, I think, $200 into every church planter as well. And and a lot of people might look at our church's investment this week and say, um, that doesn't seem like a very good investment. I mean, have you thought about the stock market? Well, that doesn't feel like a very strong investment to me either these days. Have you thought about real estate? Have you thought about mutual funds? And, oh, yeah, I think we're all aware of that. Um, but doesn't it feel right to be investing in something that will make an eternal difference? It's just, you know, this is something we can't lose sight of. And missions is not something um, that is expendable. Missions matters to God. It matters in eternity. And folks, it should matter then to us. Last week, we began a study on missions with kind of an attempt to understand what missions really means. And it's obviously connected to the saving of souls. But it's not only about the seeing souls saved. God's mission is actually even bigger than that. And in some circles and to some people, uh, they might hear that and say, well, that's, that's heresy to say that it's not all about people being saved. Now, listen, I'm not trying to downplay the fact that souls are saved. That is what we want. But that's not all that missions is about. Well, you know, we sell missions short if we only focus on the part, that, uh, the part of missions that deals with mankind. 
But that's our tendency, isn't it? I mean, as we've been going even through Genesis chapter 4, and we see the way of Cain, and he goes into the land of Nod, and he makes life all about a man-centered philosophy. He, he left God out of the picture and made it all about man. We have a tendency to do that even in the good things. Missions is a good thing. The souls, souls being saved is a great thing. That's what we desire um, but we can't assume that missions is all about man and not about God. We cannot lose sight of the fact that there is a role in missions um, that, that, that should point to the glory of God. God's mission is bigger than missionaries. It's bigger than churches. It's even bigger than those being reached. And we, and we looked at this in Philippians chapter 2 last week. And I'm just going to give you an overview here. We won't stand to read it. But we were talking about how the mind of Christ is evident. Look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Here's the mind of Christ, okay? The mind of Christ is that you're not so connected to what you have that you're not willing to let it go to serve a greater purpose. Jesus Christ was sitting at the right hand of his Father. That's a pretty good place to be sitting. And yet when it was time for him to go and serve the greater purpose, he didn't hold on to the leg of the, of the throne he was sitting in. He was willing to let it go and, and come where, to where there was a greater purpose to be served. Now look at verse 7. It says, But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Here's Jesus Christ, the, the, the creator of the universe. I mean, he owns the universe's crown. And yet when he came to this planet, he didn't come as a king. He came as a servant. He came looking like everybody else. Look at verse 8. It says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He was 100% human and 100% God, but he was still he was 100% human. He had a physical body like you and I, and he humbled himself before his father and obediently died on the cross for the sins of mankind. I mean, it's unbelievable what he did. And we could stop there, and that'd be a great message, that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross to save sinners. But it goes on. The reason that we believe God's mission is bigger than just the souls being saved, it becomes obvious when you read in verse 9, and it says, Wherefore, because of all that, because of the cross, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Wherefore, you see that word wherefore at the beginning of 9, it lets us know that all the thoughts in the preceding verses lead to that wherefore. And because Jesus Christ was willing to go to those links and submit to his Father, then, then, then God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name because he was willing to come to the cross and submit. God has lifted him up and it doesn't even end there though because look at verse 10. The first word of verse 10 is that. So God, so you have the process. Jesus Christ came to this earth, humbled himself, came as a man in a human body and was willing to submit himself to the cross. And, and if we were to stop there, it's great news, but it doesn't. It says, wherefore, God also has highly exalted him in heaven. Okay? But it doesn't stop there. Here's the last part. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow 
things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you understand, so the cross is just the first step. The part that saves sinners is just the first step because God then exalted Jesus Christ and his purpose for exalting Christ was that as many people as possible can someday in heaven bow down before Jesus Christ and confess who he is. So for then, for, the, for us to say then that missions is just about a soul being saved, do you see how it starts to sell the process short? It doesn't end at a soul, it ends at God's glory. God's mission is primarily about his glory. Yes, he wants souls to be saved, but not for their glory, it's for his. And glory, you say, I don't even understand glory. Glory refers to God's supreme greatness. One person wrote that glory is the the doctrine of God's glory encompasses the greatness and beauty and perfection of all that he is. And you say, I still don't know that I understand it. Well, I don't know that I do either. The Bible doesn't tell us what God's glory is necessarily. It just tells us that we should glorify God. And I believe the reason that we're not told what God's glory really is, is because we couldn't understand it if we wanted to. I mean, if if God's glory was understandable by a guy like you, or a lady like you and a guy like me and we're just normal people but we could wrap our minds around God's glory I'm not sure that you know that wouldn't be all that exciting to me I kind of like the mystery I like the fact that God is so great a God that I can't even wrap my mind around him I like the fact that he's that great if he was somebody that I could understand I'm not sure that that it would it would feel the same uh, I, somebody said that if God was small enough to be understood, he wouldn't be big enough to be worshipped. It's it's, it, God's glory is beyond us, and I'm thankful for that. But if God's mission is his glory, that should be our, our goal as well. I think about some of these verses, Psalm 72, 19, and blessed, blessed be his glorious name forever. It, it's, it's, blessed be the glory, his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. You know what it says, the whole earth? I mean, yeah, yes, nature, nature points to the glory of God, but every person in every corner of this planet, that's God's desire that every person will glorify him. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. Psalm 106, talking about Israel, says, nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake. First Corinthians six twenty says, for ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. First Corinthians ten thirty one. Wherefore, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. The, listen, the life of every man and woman and child, not just in this room, but around this planet, in every home, in every in every hut. I mean, in every corner of this planet, it is God's desire that every person on planet Earth brings Him glory. That's our mission. And as important as salvation is, it's not the end of the mission. His desire is for that life to give glory to God, to express his greatness and his beauty and his perfection. That's our role. This is what the mission looks like. God's mission is to obtain glory from as many as possible by reconciling people to himself out of every kindred and tribe 
and people and nation. Every knee, every tongue, as we read in Philippians 2. God's mission is to receive the glory he deserves from every person on earth. And it's our responsibility to represent him. It's our responsibility to represent. That's what we're doing as a church. That's what you should be doing as an individual. We're trying to get as many people as possible from every corner of the earth, every walk of life, to recognize God for who he is. And our lives and our words and our actions are what draws people to glorify God, according to Matthew 5.16. Notice, I didn't say it's our responsibility to get them to pray a prayer. We can't force that. At missions is important to me. It should be important to you. But if it ever gets to the place where all we're looking to do is have someone repeat a prayer after me so that we can put another notch in our belt, I don't believe that's glorifying to God either. And yet it's easy to get to that. If you feel like your responsibility is to get somebody to pray a prayer, no, your responsibility is to let everybody that you know know how great your God is. Point everybody you can to his glory and his greatness and his beauty and his perfection. Your life and your words and everything about you should point others to God. And if they choose then at that point to receive him as their savior, then, that, then let the Holy Spirit do that work. And as we do this, others will be drawn to him. That's the process of missions. So that's the kind of the understanding of the big idea. But as we then understand the big idea, how does it, what does it look like in the Bible? You know, how, what does it look like through the history of the Bible? You know, there are snapshots of God's mission in the Bible. There's snap frame, you know, I don't, I don't know if you have an iPhone. I've got an iPhone and, and my iPhone every once in a while, it will create this photo album for me. And it just randomly will say, you know, photo album from October to, you know, November 2019. It'll just show up and it'll have these pictures and, you know, like it's creating a photo album, all these great memories. What's funny is sometimes you just snap a picture of like the back of your DVD player so you can call support. And it's like, you know, music and it's like, you know, the back of my DVD player. Well, that doesn't, that's not very meaningful to me. You know, they're trying to make a photo album for you. But you know, what's, what I do like about it is I'm, it reminds me of, it, it brings back me, a memory. It brings back a moment. It's a snapshot in time to remind me of what was happening in that moment. And I don't know if you like this, our family loves to just scroll through pictures and just be reminded of, of you know, it used to be, uh, my mom still has, she's the photo album queen. You know, she's got actual photo albums. You've got pictures that were developed in the Stone Age and put into this clear plastic. How many of you still have a bunch of actual photo albums on? How many of you don't have photo albums? It's all online for you, okay, for the most, okay, that's kind of where we're going now. But, you know, I love photos. I love looking at pictures. It reminds you, it takes, it just takes you to a moment, and you have a memory of that moment, and, and it's very often a sweet moment. You took a picture uh, for a reason because it was a good memory. Well, there's snapshots also, though, in the history of missions. Uh, God's big mission, it doesn't always look the same. It hasn't always looked the same. Um, turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, and, and uh, the first snapshot of God's mission 
takes place, the beginning of God's mission takes place in the book of Genesis. We're not going to turn over there right now, but if you think about it, you think about when God created the heaven and the earth and, and God then placed a man on earth and breathed into his nostrils and Adam became a living soul and Adam and Eve lived there in the garden and they fellowshiped and they walked with God. And, I mean, it just was a great life. Uh, but then Genesis 3 comes along and Satan in the form of a serpent comes and he tempts Eve and Eve gives in and takes of the fruit and then she goes to Adam and, and he takes of the fruit as well. And in that moment, that's where you, you see the first snapshot of God's mission. But do you realize that God's mission actually was, was planned out before that? Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 Verse 19 and 20, it says, but with the pressure, well, I'll start in verse, verse number 17. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. I could preach that tonight. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. So basically saying you weren't redeemed with those things, but you were redeemed, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times by you and we'll stop there but that phrase who is verily the, the Jesus Christ the lamb was foreordained before the foundation of the world so listen God's plan was set into I mean God's plan was formulated I'll say before creation but it wasn't set into motion until mankind sinned in the garden but God already had a plan because God is omniscient and he knows everything. He knew Adam and Eve would fall. He knew they would choose to sin, but he had a plan. The lamb was foreordained and slain before the foundation of the world. So the very first snapshot of God's big mission, here's how important his mission is to him. He came up with it before the world was even created. He had a lamb, his own son, set aside in his mind. His, his son was chosen, foreordained, to be the sacrifice for sinners before the world was even formed. I mean, sin separated Adam and Eve from God, and God made a way for them to be reconciled to him. In that moment, it was a covering of a skin by an animal, and it symbolized what Jesus Christ would do years later. But I want you just to see how important God's mission is. His mission is so important. The first snapshot of God's mission actually uh, it came into focus in the garden, but it was decided well before then. The second snapshot, snapshot two, then this is after sin. Let's turn, now turn over to Genesis. Genesis chapter 11. We're going to do some turning tonight. It's hard to preach... Uh, a message like this. It's almost teaching and a subject, a topic of something so big, it's hard to find it in one text to stick with, but this will be a help to us. Genesis chapter 11. So the second snapshot is the, the mission, it gets complicated here. So the mission is that God has ordained his son, foreordained his son to someday come to planet earth and die on the cross. And at that point, you know, it was just Adam and Eve and then their offspring. 
And, you know, things would have, if you think about it, if everybody in the world spoke, spoke one language, missions wouldn't be nearly as hard, would it? Everybody would be qualified. Well, it gets complicated here in Genesis 11. Uh, this is the Tower of Babel. All mankind is gathered. And they're in a big single group of people. They all share the same language. They all share the same culture. They all share the same land. But look at Genesis 11:4. It says, and they said... Go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So they have one nation, one language, they're all in one land and they come together, say let's build a tower unto heaven because um, we want to build a tower unto heaven because we don't want to be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. And what they don't realize is that by building the tower, they become scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Look at verse 5, it says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all, have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us, there's an example of the Trinity, by the way, in the Old Testament. Let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. To this point, missions, God's big mission would have been fairly simple. I mean, I'm not simple in the fact that men still choose, they still have to make a choice, but simple in the fact that they all spoke one language. Well, now it's complicated because God divided this single group of people into multiple people groups. They were, they were separated from God because of sin. We know that already, right? They're already sinners. They're separated from God because of sin. But now after Genesis 11, they're also separated from each other because of language and ethnicity and geography and culture and all these other factors. It just got complicated. Uh, we might would say that sin would be the primary division, that they're primarily separated from God. Well, now there's a secondary division, the language and culture and all those things. Now that has to become overcome before the former division, which is sin between man and God, can be overcome. You realize that? I mean, think about it. Yeah, there is a major, the primary division or separation is between God and man as sinners. We're sinners. Well, now the complication is we can't even let somebody know they're separated from God uh, unless we know their language now. It's complicated. Folks, this is why we have missionaries. And we need people to take God's word, to, uh, his message of reconciliation to places and cultures that don't have a light. And, and I have to just say this. Listen, if you have a unique connection to language or culture or um, another way to say that is if you grew up not speaking English as your first language then it could very well be that God wants you to be a vessel to reach people that speak that language you already have an inroad you already know the language or you already know the culture and so uh, uh, maybe we should all assume that that where God has placed us man, that's where we ought to try to reach people first you know, where, where we grew up and how we grew up and the culture we grew up in, the language that we grew up speaking. 
it could be that that's how God wants to start you off in missions. All these different languages, it's amazing, you know, the reason that we send missionaries to other countries in other languages is because the people in that country have not been receptive of the light. And I wonder, I mean, I would not be surprised if someday, you know, we see an influx of missionaries from other countries around the world coming to America. Because our rejection of the light God has given us, I mean, it's accelerating at a pace we don't probably even realize. Our culture has wholesale rejected God and we're moving away from God and someday, you know, we've got a lot of missionaries in the Philippines and other places like that. At some point, the Philippines are going to be sending missionaries to us. You know, be a light where you are in the culture that you know. Um, it, you, utilize the gifts and experiences God's given you. Well, God's concern for these divided people groups is it's demonstrated in the very next event in the Bible. Look at Genesis 12. So Genesis 12 is God's initiation of the next phase of his mission what does he do who does he call well he calls a man named abraham look at it It says now the lord had said unto abram get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that i will show thee and i will make of thee a great nation and i will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing and i will bless them that bless thee and and curse them that curseth thee and in thee shall all the family all families of the earth be blessed okay so to this point Everyone spoke the same language and they were the same culture. They were all doing things at the same time. Well, God now has divided them into different cultures and languages. And then he enacts his plan. This is the snapshot here of the mission right here is that he calls Abram. And it is through Abram or Abraham and his seed, which who, which, who would be his seed years later? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was going to come through the nation of Israel that was birthed here by Abraham. God would begin restoring these divided families to himself through the Messiah. And Abraham's his great, 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 great grandfather. So snapshot three then. So Israel then was the snapshot, snapshot two. It's how God was going to to bring all these countries and nations and, uh, of the earth back together. I mean, he even promised it there in Genesis 12. He says, I'll make of thee a great nation. I'll bless thee, make thy name great. Look at verse three. I will bless them that bless thee, curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Do you see how God has separated everybody by culture? He separated everybody by language. But through Abram's seed, the Messiah, one day he would bring all those nations and cultures and countries back to himself through Jesus Christ. He would bless all families of the earth through Abram's seed. Well, this next snapshot, I would say, would be, we're not going to turn there, but the, the mission would be found then in the Gospels. Israel failed to be the light they were supposed to be. I mean, I'm skipping a lot of history, by the way the whole Old Testament practically. But, you know, Israel comes to Israel is God's plan there in this snapshot of time. It's God's plan to bring about Messiah through the nation of Israel. And so by the time then that the the Messiah comes in the New Testament, in the Gospels, at that point, Israel wasn't ready to receive him. As a matter of fact, they rejected him. They, they said, we don't want you as our Messiah. Uh, we, we don't believe that you're the Messiah. I mean, they turned their back on him 
but it didn't mean that God was still, God had given up on his mission. You know, he sent his son, and through his death, all the divided people would be blessed, and God would be glorified. But Israel doesn't want a part of the plan. Israel turns their back on God. They, they reject the Messiah. And so Jesus then sets the this, this stage for the next phase of the mission by forming a new people. And guess who the new people are? The local church. You and me. God took Israel and you set them aside for a time. And now his focus is what we might would call the church age. And that leads us to snapshot four, which is a new people with the same mission. See, God desired for Israel to be the light. He wanted Israel to point people to himself. And yet they rejected him. So he said, okay, I set you aside. And now here's a great, the great commission and I'm going to give it to my churches. So for the last 2,000 years, God has been fulfilling his mission, not through Israel. And by the way, let me just say, we should love the nation of Israel. We should support the nation of Israel because uh, God very clearly says, I mean, those that are a friend to his people, uh, he'll be a friend to them. He'll bless them that bless Israel. He'll curse those that curse Israel. Listen, I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of God's curse because we're enemies of the nation of Israel. And right now there's a very strong anti-Semitic movement going on and people are turning their back on, I've always turned their backs on the Jews, but as America, I'm thankful. I don't know, I'm not going to tell you how to vote in November, um, but if you want a long-term, you want God's blessing on our country long-term, then vote for somebody who's a friend to Israel. And, uh, and I think, you know, when you start to look at the track record of the candidates that are a friend to Israel, it starts to come into focus a little bit. But vote for somebody that's a friend to Israel because we, we, uh, we want to make sure that we have God's blessings. But the last 2,000 years, God's used the, the church to fulfill his big mission. Remember, his big mission is that people would have, that they would be able to see through somebody on planet Earth God's glory. So this phase of God's mission is what we call today, this is missions now. And Jesus was so intent, and we're wrapping this up here in a moment, but Jesus was so intent on passing this mission on to his churches that he on several occasions, he declared the great commission to his disciples before he went back to heaven. He gave them the great commission. And I'm not going to turn there, but Matthew 28, and Jesus came and spake unto them saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Which, by the way, I love the focus. Matthew, it's really about go into all the nations. But I love how Mark, in Mark's gospel, he says, go and preach the gospel to every creature uh, don't you love the way that that god is not just concerned about a corporate big corporate group of people he says every creature and he's not saying every animal in the forest he's saying every human being you know every soul matters to god and every soul and this is what i loved about the, the south dakota church planters as they stood up here and they said yes i know there are big cities but this town of 200 this town of this town of 400, this town of 800, and nobody's going there. And it, their, their call to, to bring the, the commission, the great commission, 
to the world is just as valid going to one soul by themselves off in secluded South Dakota somewhere as to the people that are going to large city and reaching large populations. Because every creature matters to God. Every soul, every person. And we ought to take that in consideration that, listen, God may not use you to reach masses, but he may use you to reach one. Every creature. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after the, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses. And not just, every, not just people groups and not just one person, but also the Great Commission is to a place. He says, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So our mission is to groups of people. Our mission is to individuals. And our mission is to places. Missions today involves the fulfilling of the Great Commission. And here it is, listen. Until all the divided people groups are restored to God brought back to a place where they can give him the glory that he deserves. And we we could say it this way, our mission is to see that the name of Christ is lifted up by every Christian among every people in every place until he is lifted up by every person among every people in every place. That's our mission, folks. You know, I, I find it offensive when people talk about Christianity being that which has divided throughout history, that's been the cause of all these issues and all the harm and persecution, if you understand the Bible, you know God's purpose has never been to divide people. His purpose has always been to bring everybody back together in the rightful place and under submission to the name of Jesus Christ. You know, there's no more unifying effort in the world than that of true Christianity. And our job as God's people is to lift up his name to every person in every place and among every people so that every person in every place among every people that they'll turn around and lift up his name as well. And snapshot five, turn over to Revelation five. We'll be done here in a moment. Revelation chapter five. So we're kind of in snapshot four, the great commission, the church age. That's what we're doing, but... Revelation chapter 5. Here's when, snapshot 5 is when the mission is accomplished. See, through all the ups and downs of, the, of history, we're assured of the fact that someday God's mission ends in victory. In Revelation, here we, here we see the mission accomplished. Look what it says. Revelation 5 verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain... And this is the lamb to Jesus Christ and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nations. Look over in Revelation 7. Revelation 7 verse 9. It says, After this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. So for those that say that Christianity is divisive, 
All you have to do is take him to Revelation 5, 9 and Revelation 7, 9 and show them, no, God is not trying to divide us. He's trying to bring us all back together. And someday that mission will be accomplished. Listen, God's glory, and, I'll, and I have to be careful, not every person will receive it. You know, not every person will, will be in eternity with God forever. But his goal is that every person would be. And another movement today, Calvinism says, that God will select some and not select others, and those that aren't selected don't have an opportunity. And that is absolute falsehood. He wants every person of every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every culture, listen, every color. Racism is, is unbiblical and ungodly. God is not a racist. God wants every person to come together at the end and be a part of his big mission. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every culture. And I'm thankful that we have an inclusive God. So we see God's mission accomplished and someday we're going to joyfully worship him throughout eternity. But listen, you, you still, it doesn't absolve you from responsibility. God's glory is the primary. Not the only, but it's the primary purpose for missions. And God wants, God wants this to be your primary life's purpose as well. So is your mission's passion as big as his glory? When you start thinking about God's glory, you start thinking, okay, then I, if, if God's glory is what I'm hoping and praying for it through missions, then me asking work off for a couple nights is not too big. Because there's nothing bigger than God's glory. And if that's what I want out of missions, there's nothing too big for him to ask of me. If, God, if my goal is God's glory, there's nothing too big for me to give up for him. That includes even somebody in this room that I'm looking around and I'm thinking, God may call somebody from our church to give their life to missions. I'd love to be a part of that. I'd love to, you know, I don't like to lose people. I, 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 it, it hurts me. But to lose somebody who says, no, I mean, God's glory is my mission, and therefore nothing is, I mean, because God's glory is so big, there's nothing too big for me to give up for God. So I'll take me and my family, we'll go somewhere, we'll plant a church in a small town in South Dakota. To me, that'd be, I mean, that's a great way to lose somebody. Or somebody says, you know, uh, these countries with, with nobody re reaching them and nobody learning the language, me and my family will learn the language and we'll go sacrifice and give up the good life in the U.S. <sighs> the good life. And we'll go somewhere and we'll reach people for Christ that don't have a witness in their language. We'll do it. And I'd love to see that. Maybe even just a young person to say, uh, I, I want to be involved in God's glory. And his glory is so big. It's, if it's that big, if that's our mindset, there's nothing then too big for me to give up. I'll give up that career I've been, I've been looking to reach and give my life. Maybe even just give, go to Bible college and see if God wants me to do something. There's a lot of things. I know people that for them it was a big step 
when it came time to give to missions on a weekly basis. And it may not be God moving your family somewhere else. It may be just him saying, okay, what are you giving to missions on a weekly basis? And I haven't touched on that very much since I've been the pastor here. Um, but, but I believe that at church our size, we should be giving a lot more to missions. But maybe we've lost sight of the fact that, that this is not just about convenience. This is about God's glory. And I know people that have struggled... They've struggled with making the decision uh, to give more. And you know what they gave up? They gave up things like Dr. Pepper. You know, it's not always something big that's holding us back from doing more for God. And maybe the next few weeks you ought to be thinking, okay, what small things do I need to give up so that I can be more involved in something this big? This is big. This is huge. This is God's glory big. That's how big missions is. And if we want to have a part in that, it's time for us to evaluate what we've been holding back. So what are some ways that your passion for God's glory should be manifest in your life, but it's not? And maybe it's just you're just not willing to tell somebody about the Lord. Maybe you're living in such a way that it doesn't reflect God. Maybe you're just not being bold at work for Christ. And, and you know that he wants you to tell somebody, but you're just afraid and it's scary. I understand it. But if it's about God's glory, that's much bigger than our own personal pride. Maybe it's about sharing God's blessings in your life with somebody, with people in your life more frequently. And maybe God is great and you know it, but the people around you, they don't know how great God is to you. And maybe that's where you start. Just express God's glory to the people around you. People are divided from God because of sin. And they're, they're also divided from the gospel because of the barriers They're at Babel and beyond. So what are some ways that you see people divided from the gospel? Maybe it's a language barrier. Maybe it's a cultural barrier. It could be racial barriers. That can be a problem. But the bigger problem is if God's people use race as a reason not to shine their lights. I mean, if we are allowing those barriers to affect who we reach out to, and I, I... well, I wouldn't want it said of me um, that, that I had a filter for the gospel and who I would present it to. I mean, if it's somebody who, who sleeps in the streets, that soul matters to God. So whatever social barriers I perceive between me and him, God doesn't see the difference. He wants every, he wants the person that lives under the bridge He wants that person to be among the number in the book of Revelation. Every tribe, every culture, no matter the standing, that soul matters as much to God as mine does. Our neighbors, we live in a diverse city, don't we? And I'm thankful for it. Our neighbors surround us. We've got Nepal on this side and Nepal and Bhutan on this side and in uh, Ethiopia, Eritrea on this side of us. And I love it. I think it's great to live in diversity like this. Um, but, we, but be careful that we, we don't have a filter with the gospel. Be careful that we're not just, okay, well, my neighbor two doors down looks a lot more like, like me, so that's the one I'm going to focus on. And I think it's great when, you know, just to think about Brother Ruckman over there across town. And, um, but, but I'd also think it's great if we had a population of, of African folks at Eastside Baptist Church that fit in, that felt like they fit in just like anybody else. I'd love to have a church that inclusive, not about sin, but about the barriers that often keep us from sharing the gospel like we should.
Every soul matters to God. Do black lives matter? Absolutely. I don't buy into the movement at all. I think it's, it's when you start reading about the movement itself, it's anti-God. It's anti-Bible. But I, do, I, we, I agree with them on this point, black lives matter. And so does every other life. Every soul matters to God. And the barriers that sometimes prevent us from giving the gospel, it's time to knock some of those down. If Eastside ever becomes a church where somebody of a certain culture comes in and they don't feel welcome, well, well, heaven help us for not living out the gospel like we're supposed to. So how could God maybe use your experiences, your talents, or language, or cultural understanding to help remove some of those divisions? I mean, if you speak Spanish, then it could be that God has you in the path of somebody else that speaks Spanish... And because you speak Spanish, you're the right person to talk to them about Jesus Christ. You have some history or, or you have a knowledge in a certain area. Listen, don't keep those enabled gifts or opportunities that God has given you to yourself. Use them to reach across barriers and, and reflect God's glory in your life. And maybe you might someday in heaven. In Revelation 5 or 7 when it's time for every tribe and every tongue and every culture and every person from nations and, I mean, countless people. When you get to heaven, it's time to bow down and worship the Lamb. You might look next to you, and that person next to you on earth didn't look anything like you, but you get to worship together because you had a hand in them hearing the gospel and receiving Christ as their Savior. But I'd love in that throng to have somebody that's there because of me. And I'm not saying that for pride. I'm just saying... I mean, as a challenge, I mean, who, who would be in that number because of you? How many are you going to take with you? Maybe it's time to set aside some of those things. In this snapshot of time, God has given us an opportunity to present the gospel around the world to countless languages. And yeah, we ought to give to missions, but we ought to start across the street. Missions, God's big mission is bigger than us. It's bigger than just people. It's for his glory. And if it's for his glory, if that's so big, there's nothing that we, hold, we should hold back when the cause is that great. Maybe it's time for us to take a step tonight in the area of missions and have a bigger view than what we've had. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We have a verse of invitation. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.